Employee frustration can be difficult to diagnose. Common symptoms may include keyboard thrashing, oh. aggressive hair pulling, anxious sobbing, <laughs> and the royal I quit. If you detect one or more of these, your team may be infected with the highly contagious software frustritis. Don't panic. WalkMe's contextual guidance simplifies any software, providing an intuitive and hassle-free user experience. Everybody wins. Gets more done. Join thousands of leading enterprises that simplify their workflow with WalkMe. WalkMe. Get started now. Introducing the new era of digital identity with SoCure, the leading provider of digital identity verification solutions. The world is shifting to digital services. More and more people are expecting everyday transactions and government services to be readily available online. But this shift has also created new opportunities for fraudsters and identity thieves, which can put individuals and organizations at risk. That's why SoCure has developed a suite of cutting-edge digital identity verification solutions that can help prevent fraud while also ensuring equitable access for all demographics. SoCure leverages machine learning, AI, and biometric capture to provide fast and accurate verification, even for those without traditional forms of identification. Whether you're a government agency looking to modernize your identity verification processes or a business looking to protect your customers and prevent fraud, SoCure has the expertise and technology to help. Join the digital identity revolution with SoCure and help build a more secure, efficient, and equitable world. Visit SoCure.com to learn more. That's S-O-C-U-R-E.com. You're listening to the Government Huddle Podcast, brought to you by GMarkU. Each episode features a unique discussion led by public sector executive and global government thought leader, Brian Chittister. Experts in all things government from around the world join the show to share their stories and provide insight into the rapidly changing landscape that is the public sector. From digital transformation to workforce issues and even thoughts on policy, nothing is off limits. Come on, let's huddle up. I think addressing cultural elements in the business is hard to do and, and innovation is hard to do. But I do think that more and more our my, my customers are seeing an absolute need for innovation to be permeating everything that they're focused on. I mean, they face a ton of challenges. I mean, and I think innovation probably plays a, a, an essential role and maybe one of the top challenges that I see them facing, which is everyone's looking to accelerate outcomes. Like, change, like regardless of what mission space you're in, it needs to get done faster. Um, they want to move out on priorities faster. They want to scale solutions faster. They want to achieve results faster. And all of that requires a, a kind of a constant focus on innovation. Welcome back to the Government Huddle Podcast, guys. I'm your host, Brian Chittister. Today, organizations all over the world face a leadership crisis, and to confront this crisis, the practice of leadership needs to be elevated to the C-suite, the chief leadership officer. Successful organizations must evolve to meet the changing world, and oftentimes, they do so by creating new roles that are opportunistic and address an urgent need or avert a crisis, and the creation of the chief leadership role is definitely at such a moment. The consequences of poor leadership are too great for public and private sector organizations to wait any longer before embracing this role. 
as they set out to prioritize more welcoming and inspiring workplaces, the very qualities of good leadership have never been more scrutinized, reevaluated, or essential. And because of this need, I was really intrigued when I met my guest today, Elaine Beeman, because she fills this very role at Accenture Federal. In this position, she's focusing on employee experience and succession planning, and also leads their civilian portfolio. She joined Accenture Federal in 2009 as their managing director of customer relationship for their health and public service business. And in 2015, she became the lead for their civilian portfolio, focusing on workforce development and inclusion and diversity initiatives. In our conversation today, I'm excited to learn more about why she feels this role is so important. Plus, we're going to discuss her thoughts on what she believes are some of the top challenges her federal customers are facing and how she's working to address them. Elaine, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here today. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation. We're going to get into your role a little bit because I'm really curious about what a chief leadership officer does. But before we do that, um, one of the things I'm always really interested in is when we have leaders on the show to understand where they're going for wisdom, right? Where, where they're getting smarter. Um, and sometimes that manifests itself in a lot of ways. What I found is a lot of, a lot of the leaders I have on are reading some really interesting books. And I know I've gotten through a fair amount of books recently, and I'm always curious to know what these leaders are are listening to. So, Elaine, I'm really curious. What are you What are you reading right now? Well, yeah, I, I may disappoint you in the wisdom department on this answer, <laughs> uh, but that uh, what I'm reading right now actually is a detective story that is set in Venice. Uh, and the reason that I'm reading that is because my husband and I are, are headed to Venice uh, and some other Italian destinations for our big, exciting summer vacation this year. So I'm reading this detective story because it's this, a fun and interesting way to kind of get a vibe of Venice uh, architecture and art and other uh, settings, but in a kind of fun summer reading, super easy to get through, uh, you know, you know, suspense and drama version of, 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 a, of a bit of history and, and culture. So very excited about that. That's <laughs> but very it's not cool. one of those books that's really going to impart deep, great, uh, great wisdom. It's a, it's a fun summer read for me. <laughs> no, but what's interesting is that you're, you're learning about the city as you're kind of being entertained through, through fiction. I mean, that's, you're better than I am because my wife gives me grief all the time that I'm, I only read nonfiction. I think she thinks I'm really boring. So I'm, <laughs> I, I think I, I probably have to, maybe, maybe I'll take a lesson there and maybe I can do some historical fiction and, and it, learn some it's things. It's fun from, to escape in reading sometimes, not always to better yourself. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and it's funny. That's usually reason, one of the reasons why I escape. It kind of, kind of helps me. My, my oldest son He's gotten huge into reading. In fact, we we joke around. We have to we have to actually pull the book out of his hand as he's walking down the stairs to make sure he's not tripping and falling. He's nine. Well, that sounds um, like me as a child. I have to yeah. say. So I relate to that. <laughs> and my well, own it, kids are big readers as well. So that's that's fun. Yeah. Well, he 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 loves everything. He loves fiction, nonfiction, and historical fiction. We'll sit down and watch documentaries too. It's it's always a lot of fun to oh, kind nice. of dive into things that we we jointly love. <laughs> that's awesome. So back to kind of how I kicked this off, I am really interested in, and from the moment I, I came across your profile and, and saw the role of chief leadership, leadership officer, I was fascinated. Um, I was wondering if you could kind of tell the listeners, what does a chief leadership officer do at Accenture Federal? 
Yeah. So I let me I will answer that, but I'm answering it in two parts. How about that? Because the, the chief leadership officer job is like my second role. So I thought I'd talk for a second about my my I guess my day job. Right. Yeah. Which is I lead the civilian portfolio for Accenture Federal Services. Right. Which is, you know, P&L. It is our client facing organization. Uh, we service civilian customers across the federal government. Uh, and then, you know, deliver a range of technology consulting um, and other services to them across the business. So that is my my core job, right? Really service, serving clients and, and supporting a team of, of managing directors and other individuals who serve those clients, right? But the chief leadership officer job, which I took on about a year ago, is uh, it's an out, out branch of that, but it's, it's it serves at the intersection between you know, the HR function, but also the kind of market facing function that I serve, right? It, it, it really is about taking time to do the kind of special projects and interventions that touch our people in very strategic and meaningful ways, but with a lens of having, you know, a market facing capability as we think about that. So it's, it's different than what the HR function does, which, you know, they do, you know, God's work on a daily basis, administrating to our people. Uh, but this is um, this is more about special projects. So I'm really focused in on uh, employee engagement, as an example. Like, how do we uh, understand our employee engagement across the business? How do we find pockets of excellence across different programs and project teams? How do we, you know, rally uh, special projects around uh, throughout our organization to really move the needle around employee engagement? Right. So that's one big area of focus for me, special projects. A lot of what we do is, you know, uh, it, you know, administered out through the HR channel, through our project teams, through our capability groups. But it's, I'm kind of having a strategic view across all of that to make sure that we are we are doing the stuff that's going to move the needle for our people, but also continually allow us to serve clients in a, in a positive way. Another Wonderful. element of my job is succession planning. So really thinking about how to be extremely thoughtful around succession planning. One of the things I've been working on is, you know, not just appointing people to roles within, you know, a given chain or at the top levels only, but really thinking about how do we identify high performers in the organization, lower down in the organization? How do we put people on a route to uh, building skills and capabilities, being on the radar, having conversations with these people about their goals and, and, and places that they can they can expand their uh, career and really kind of helping people, shepherding people through a process of thinking about succession at kind of m many more levels in the organization, as well as at the highest levels of the organization. That's really interesting. And what I was going to say is one of the female leaders that I had on about a year or so ago, Eris McCotry Gill, who heads up um, employee experience at the Department of Veterans Affairs, a lot of what she talked about was how data-driven her role is. And as she's engaging uh, the employees across the VA, getting a lot of these insights to make tweaks and changes to programs and, and to provide better value. One, I'm guessing that's probably the case where you are. But two, are, are you seeing any, any insights or, or trends as you've been kind of working to engage the employees um, within your organization? Yeah, you know, we try to do we try to do a lot of surveying, right, and having instruments that we can use to like compare our population of folks against each other and against other, you know, benchmark organizations. So I and, and I I relate very much to that comment around data driven, right? I love data to um, 
not just to understand kind of where we are, but understand that when we're taking interventions, it's moving the needle in some sort of fashion. I think this is a really, really uh, interesting and difficult time to focus on employee engagement because across the board, kind of society-wise, you know, there's been more general pessimism and engagement in workforces has, has actually kind of declined year over year in the past few years. The pandemic obviously was a major impact, but that kind of malaise has persisted. So you're kind of swimming upstream as you're trying to move the needle around engagement. And that is, that is one of the trends that we're seeing there. And I think another big, another big thing that we're struggling with, right, is the hybrid work environment and how the heck are we going to create engagement, really emphasize the cultural elements that we're, we really care about and we want people to feel an affinity for. But how do you do that in a way that where you're having teams, some are 100% remote, some are in the office part-time, uh, really exploring ways to maintain flexibility that people really value in their workplace that that became super apparent during the, the pandemic, but also creating the cultural connections that we need to create. So it's this really this balancing act across the board that um, that we're, we're we're constantly struggling with. I know as you introduced your your two roles, they sort of sort of bifurcate in different directions, but I'm guessing that at some point they really come together and you probably are engaging your customers in in workforce issues and employee issues and having those kind of conversations. Are there any things that you're seeing on that end as well? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, when I put my chief leadership officer hat on in client conversations, you know, they're struggling with all the same sorts of things. Like how do we, how do they create an engaged workforce in a hybrid work environment? What's the right set of rules around in person in the office um, in the absence of a, uh, a sweeping policy across all agencies. What should they personally do? So it, it is a it is a, a conversation that I often have with customers uh, across the board, uh, and, and it's it's you know it's a bonding moment honestly to talk to people that we're all facing the same sorts of struggles, right? Because I do believe that this that that intersection between their two roles two roles is truly there. You know, in a in a in a company like Accenture Federal Services. Our people, our workforce, are our bread and butter. It, they're they're the, the the face to our client population, and having them feel engaged and supported and recognized, and uh, having them have access to the capabilities that they require to get their jobs done is just absolutely mission critical. How did you move into this type of role? So I'm curious as you've gone through your career, and I think a lot of people listening that might be in a, in a sales customer facing role, it's a little bit easier for them to, to understand how that direction happened per se. But how did, how did you also evolve into this chief lead, chief leadership role? Is this a, a passion of yours? Is this something you found you were good at? Or was there somebody who kind of drove you in this direction? I think it's probably the former, right? It's a passion and something that I, 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 I got good at, right? Like, so, um, you know, leading a big organization. I mean, the civilian portfolio within AFS is our largest portfolio of clients. We have, we, I have the most kind of uh, uh, employees who work on programs within my organization. And I've thought a lot about corporate culture. We have our AFS and Accenture corporate cultures, right? But within civilian, I spent a lot of time thinking about the, the special sauce that made serving civilian clients uh, a really meaningful sort of thing. And really thinking about the motivators that make people in, in my organization want to come to work every day, uh, and and we and we I developed a set of you know principles around 
you know, human impact, right? Like the work that we do for the federal government touches the lives of citizens each and every day. And that's something we should be proud of, celebrate, understand the impact of the work that we do, right? Uh, I have the concept of belonging, right? You're in this organization because you belong. You can bring your, your best self to work. You as an individual are valued. Uh, we support you and you know whoever you are, and you can bring your authentic self to work. And you have people around you who care about you, right? But also people are very motivated in our, in our company about doing uh, truly innovative work. So then we have the concept of ingenuity, right? We are doing bleeding edge, amazing, interesting, uh, technological innovations, uh, the most impactful work across the board that brings the top technology together. So you can be working at the edge of what's cool from a technology perspective also in this in this job. So I spent a lot of time talk, thinking about that. Like, what are the cultural elements we support? How do we um, have our organization demonstrate uh, uh, our commitment across all of those different you know, values to our employee population? Uh, and then there was a chance to kind of pick my head up and look out across AFS overall, right? And, and help the HR organization and our other leaders focus on how do we move the needle even bigger? How do we make engagement a, a major factor, particularly in this time of transition, uh, and put programming together that, that moves the needle across the entire organization? You know, and so my boss, I think, recognized that as a strength and recognize the opportunity, and we talked about it, and and then this role happened for me. So that's that's really cool. And you used two words there that I think go really really well together, or need to go really well together, which is innovation and culture. And I think that's not something that uh, those two haven't always been prioritized in the government workspace, but I think uh, more recently have absolutely been prioritized for various reasons. Are, are you seeing that? And what are some of the changes that you're seeing with the acceptance of, of those two priorities kind of driving, um, more better, I guess, better change for citizens forward. Yeah. I mean, I do think that it is, and, and people talk about it. It's a little buzzwordy, right. And innovate, creating an innovation culture. I think it's, it's hard to do, right. I think addressing cultural elements in the business is hard to do. And, and innovation is hard to do. But I do think that more and more our my, my customers are seeing an absolute need for innovation to be permeating everything that they're focused on. I mean, they face a ton of challenges. I mean, and I think innovation probably plays a, a, an essential role in maybe one of the top challenges that I see them facing, which is everyone's looking to accelerate outcomes. Like, change, like regardless of what mission space you're in, it needs to get done faster. Um, they want to move out on priorities faster. They want to scale solutions faster. They want to achieve results faster. And all of that requires a, a kind of a constant focus on innovation. And, and I think, honestly, if anything, the pace is we, we <laughs> the pandemic created a, a pace of change, a requirement for a pace of change that was really unprecedented. It, it truly we it's amazing how fast we pivoted to do things and how quickly things got rolled out, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, just just you take the the drug approval process, vaccine approval process and the pace at which stuff went down there. That's it's incredible. But it's more than that. I think it permeates every element at every mission space, this this need to kind of continue to move at pace and innovation is the way that that has to happen. And so it's looking downfield and constantly finding yet net new ways uh, seeing how technologies 
are going to you know change the landscape and how to embrace them. And, I, and that's a lot of what we do with clients uh, across the board. Yeah, I, I think no one's going to argue that the pandemic kind of set an unprecedented pace. And I've also heard people say it set an unrealistic pace for what is kind of capable in the future. Do you yeah. think that government can keep up with that that pace that they were in with the pandemic? Or if if you don't think they can't right now, what do you think it's going to take for them to keep up with that type of pace? You know, I think that I would say never say never. I, I agree it was hard and that maybe we weren't fully ready at that time. But I think with, with ongoing innovation, and I, I honestly, I think data and you know, AI is going to transform the landscape and change pace here. I think that's the thing that's going to fundamentally, and we're not there yet, right? We're, we're all looking at AI and beginning to think about it and how it's going to impact work and how it's going to impact the pace of change. But I believe fundamentally it's going to accelerate it. And, and we may be able to move at a pace that's even faster than we, we thought was possible during the pandemic around certain capability areas. So I, I think the pace of change is only going to accelerate from here, honestly. I think there's a lot of people that have said even recently that AI is kind of changing everything, but more specifically, what do you mean? How do you think that's going to drive things forward? I mean, I think it's going to touch every single solitary kind of mission area and goal and objective of, of uh, our, you know, the federal landscape, honestly. I mean, I do think it's going to be able to accelerate outcomes. I mean, you're, the decision-making capability that's possible with AI after, you know, processing reams and reams of data and arriving at decisions faster is, is going to change. I think AI can impact other mission spaces like fundamentally creating better experiences for, for citizens, you know, cobbling together answers, uh, routing people down paths that are more seamless. Uh, I think that that's a, a use case that will be something that really actually, you know, accelerates change and, and frankly can make uh, change more seamless and, and, and pleasant, ideally for citizens as they have better experiences with government. I think getting access to services. Uh, I mean, one of the priority areas of, of many of my customers is having um, people uh, receive the services that they deserve, understand their eligibility for them, uh, make the paths to uh, receipt of services more, you know, seamless. And I think AI can help with that. Um, routing paths differently, um, removing barriers to uh, completion of tasks that require are required for eligibility, you know, that sort of thing. And then probably the other biggest challenge I see people talking about are is security. Everything has to be happen securely. Um, and I do think AI will be a, can be helpful with that. It can also be a threat, let's be clear, but I, I think it could be helpful as well. So putting on your chief leadership officer hat then, because I, I totally agree that AI is going to accelerate things. I think we're going to get to outcomes faster, but I also think it's only going to be as valuable as the people that are implementing it. So yeah. how do you build a culture that moves at that pace with the skill set that it requires to, to leverage that data um, in those situations to make the decisions faster and to move the programs faster? Um, to get to outcomes faster. How do you do that? Yeah, I mean, I do think that, yeah, yeah, it can't be a runaway train, right? This, mm -hmm. this whole AI thing. And there's lots of conversation happening in the media and at the highest levels of government around what responsible AI really looks like. Um, and I think when we're thinking about implementing stuff around processes in our world, 
having the human element uh, built in and baked into uh, any work that we do that leverages AI, having the business rules that stop and check and, and prevent kind of runaway uh, excess in any of these processes, ensuring that you know, criteria and training of models, it reflects, you know, a, a need to be inclusive of all populations, that sort of thing. I, so there is, a, and, and having industrial strength capability and practices for how to think about it and make sure that those processes are in place and it just doesn't run amok. I mean, I think that's part of what we, we need to bring to our clients. So it's not, you know, runaway technology, it's tech, technology within boundaries, uh, with a ethical and human-centered approach uh, that is essential to having the kind of to creating the outcomes that we're hoping to create here, right? Which is better experiences, more access to services, you know, more goodness uh, versus you know exclusion and, and technology run amok. When you said runaway technology, where my brain went immediately was to generative AI, or I mean, people know it kind of better as chat GPT, but yeah. it feels like that is a runaway train that people are trying to, to either jump on or slow down or, or do something. But um, it, it got out there. I think one of the reasons why it did get out there so quickly was it, it was made available to everyday people, to consumers uh, to yeah. leverage however they wanted. And now you have a, a bunch of organizations that are trying to integrate and leverage APIs into it to to put that textbook technology into their solution, um, which I think is going to kind of refine it and make it better. But I also wonder about the willingness of government to bring a technology that they don't totally understand yet from a use perspective, from an ethical perspective, et cetera, what their willingness is going to be to, to bring that into the fold and let their employees use this on a regular basis. Have you seen any use cases or any organizations that have been leveraging it and, and doing it in a in the right way? Yeah, I mean, well, we we're making a, uh, Accenture is making a huge investment in in generative AI. I mean, I think that we need need to create a distinction between Chat GPT and generative AI as a concept, right? And Chat GPT has gotten all the press, and it's it's like a party trick kind of. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's really cool. It does amazing things. It's also, you know, deeply uh, error prone and misleading at times, right? And uh, it's going to generate, you know, it, it, it invents and it hallucinates at times. So, I mean, it's a perfect example, a little microcosm of why boundaries, uh, processes, controls, thoughtful uh, ethics around AI are, are, are essential, right? But across the board, countless organizations are investing and building you know, similar capabilities. And so I, I don't, I don't envision the federal government saying, oh, let's all just plug into chat GPT and here we go. I think it's going to be about organizations building, you know, government ready capabilities. The, the magic is there. There's real magic there, right? But it has to be done in a way and built in an environment where the right controls the right processes, the right thoughtfulness can be done around, around capability areas. I mean, from an Accenture perspective, we're, we're all in on generative AI, right? We are making, at an Accenture level, we're making a $3 billion over a three-year investment. We're doubling our workforce. We're, you know, we have all these kind of partnerships with the cloud ecosystem partners working with them, their cloud environments, their large data sets, you know, huge investment because we believe it is a powerful tool that, that will yield amazing results for organizations across the globe. All, and again, we're trying to put controls in place 
processes in place and business rules and uh, an ethical mindset that make it a positive versus, again, the run amok scenario. I mean, in AFS, we're doing the same sort of thing. We have our own community, of, our center of excellence around generative AI. We're exploring federal use cases now. Uh, we're going to build out demos. Uh, we're going to prototype, uh, really try to create uh, fit for federal uh, examples of where we can really ex create acceleration, create better outcomes, leveraging this capability within boundaries, which because because and with with very with a huge level of security because all of those are essential to any any anything we're doing on the federal side. You mentioned kind of the the use cases there, and I, I think. Honestly, it's it's really no different than how the government is seemingly leveraging AI right now. I mean, there's some organizations that are using it and probably don't even know they're using it because it's so embedded into the solution. And I think you're right. I think from a generative perspective, that's probably going to be the way that it's kind of rolled out into government is, is there's going to be use cases and ways to fold it into applications that they're using just to just to better that, um, just to help take some of the onus off the employee, but to support them. Um, I'm curious to know, are there other technologies out there that you're also seeing beyond just um, the foundational one of AI? You also mentioned cloud, but are there other ones out there that you're seeing really moving the needle in the federal space right now? I mean, honestly, I think it's all, <laughs> all of these major technology trends are, are touching upon one another. And, and the, the bucket of AI, I think, I think is like a great, encompassing umbrella to talk about that stuff because it's about data and huge stores of data, but thoughtful usage of data. And imagine, you know, having a, a situation where data isn't, you know, uh, uh, a congestion point uh, and a, a barrier to uh, decision-making and innovation. Uh, you know, machine learning is part of the AI umbrella. I think it, to me, data transforms and, and harnessing data transforms government. I think that is the trend that we're going to see. And all of the technologies, because it, it, it exists in cloud, right? And all the technologies and capabilities and concepts we wrap around harnessing data, I think that's that's the future. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think what we talked about before, especially in terms of, of leveraging AI, but I think it's it really is especially important when you're talking about becoming more data-driven is building a culture around that, right? You want to build yeah. a culture around being a data-driven organization when it becomes important and a priority for everyone, um, keeping data hygiene protocols in place, keeping security in place, but it, it really, from a cultural perspective and foundationally, it can really help drive that forward and, and make an impact, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. And I think that dovetails into my role as chief leadership officer, because the other element of that, an engaged workforce feels like they have the knowledge and capabilities and tools that allow them to, to do their job well. So in this kind of transformative moment where we're looking ahead and saying, wow, harnessing data and the data revolution is going to be the thing that changes how we serve our clients. How do we then adapt our workforces to be prepared for that? And what are the roles that people need to play? And it's not just all about technologists, it's about, you know, ethicists and uh, customer experience and, uh, you know, all sorts of softer sides of things, too, that we need to make sure that people are understanding that force that's at work that's out there, that they're skilled, knowledgeable and prepared to support our clients as we as we embrace this kind of change together. 
Elaine, before I give you a chance to leave some final thoughts, one last question I have for you. If you could leave any advice out there for government leaders that are listening on kind of some best practices or tips on how to engage their workforce, right? You have so many different generations working in government right now. I think it's one of the only industries where every single generation is really working in that space, which becomes incredibly challenging for leaders. But do you have any any tips or advice that you would give them on on best ways to really engage and motivate and, and drive um, more purposeful, uh, I guess, conversations with that workforce? Yeah, I mean, I think that embracing and exploring the differences among generations and the values associated with uh, each of the generations is important. And each generation of worker has value, right? I think we uh, struggle if we create a culture of maybe those in power are from a, a different generation and everyone else needs to just kind of get on board with the, with the, with the old culture. I don't think that's going to fly at all anymore. I think we have to think about new ways of working and embrace those new ways of working. And it's not fundamentally just because it's different. It's not wrong. You know, the way that young, young people think about, think about the world. I mean, I have kids and I, I, I see how they approach the world and I admire them, frankly. Right. So I, I, I bring a lot of that mindset when I look out at the populations of younger employees working across our business. Uh, and I, I think we're going to need to, you know, government leaders are going to need to find ways to appeal to the value systems of younger generational workers in order to get them want to engage in government. But I guess one of the things that I would say to you know, federal employees, right, is the mission matters. It's so compelling. Uh, I always talk about, <laughs> I tease folks who sit on the commercial side of our Accenture business, that we, we do Im- incredibly impactful work that changes lives and, and delivers benefits to people. It's not you know selling sugary sodas to, to children. It's a meaningful mission space. The, I think our government leaders have such an opportunity to get, connect the younger generation of folks to mission. And that's just so compelling. It's part of their culture, their generational ethos, right? So then how do you do that? Uh, and then what are the other elements that draw people in? So I think work, work flexibility and different ways of working and exploring the value systems there is going to be essential to kind of creating that next generation of younger leaders who wants to come in and be part of government change, which we absolutely need to have happen. So that would be kind of my thought then around advice for our government leaders. I totally agree. And I like how I like how you ended that because it's not just about the employees that are in government right now, but it's about the future employees and government. Everyone knows that government's had a challenge with the recruitment and retention of their workforce, especially the younger workforce and uh, appealing to that mission and that purpose is something that we've talked about for a long time being important, but I'm not sure that has really been done um, to the to the best of their ability. And I think it's a huge uh, arrow in the, in the government's quiver to be able to bring in that top talent to support whatever mission they're, the respective agency is doing. So I, I think that's really good advice. Um, Elaine, before you go, any final thoughts you want to leave with the listeners today? You know, I don't know... <laughs> I just, uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's been, it's been really fun to explore these topics and kind of think about uh, the intersections of all of the, both the human technology and how of all that's going to play out in, in, in the kind of federal environment. So I, I just have appreciated the, the time to chat. Likewise, I, I, I think this was really, 
really fascinating. I think you have a, an incredible role. Like I said, I mean, it really sits, and you even said this too, it sits at the intersection of, of employee engagement and customer engagement. Being able to marry those two together, I think gives you such an advantage to be able to kind of look broadly at, at what's happening and really bring tactical support. Um, I, I, I know for a fact I'm gonna have to bring you on in the future because um, I, I think things are moving and shifting and changing so fast, especially in, in these areas that keeping up with it is difficult and you've already helped us catch up today. So we might need your help in the future. Well, that sounds awesome. I would love to be part of that. So for sure, count me in. Absolutely. This has been the Government Huddle Podcast. You can check out more episodes of the show by heading over to governmenthuddle.com or wherever you access your podcast. And feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Chittistray B. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye for now.